Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs. So welcome again, everybody. Uh, my name is Bob Campbell. I'll be the moderator for today uh, uh, on our topic. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, it looks like we've uh, touched on one that is of wide interest in our community. Uh, there's a little basket on your table, or I think on most of the tables, we had to throw up some extra tables. But in any event, each of you has to contribute $10 to, uh, to be able to listen to this event and partake in the luncheon. And so we asked someone at that table to uh, count the number of people and multiply that by 10, and that's how much should be there when someone comes around to uh, collect it. So thank you for that. Um, we are a volunteer nonprofit organization, as you all know, and uh, we thrive on volunteerism, and memberships are available. Uh, there's a table set up outside, and if you're interested in having a, a membership uh, to get on our mailing list, etc., and to participate in our uh, events, uh, you're welcome to uh, join us. Uh, we also, uh, being a community organization, we depend on other uh, organizations within our community for, am I out of sound here? What's happening? There, there we go. Uh, so we'd like to thank the uh, University of Lethbridge. We also want to thank, this is just not quite cooperating with me. Okay. So the University of Lethbridge uh, for their support, uh, for Country Kitchen Catering, uh, for their great lunch for Shaw TV, for broadcasting the sessions. And uh, as you know, on uh, Sunday at 4.30 p.m., uh, the, uh, uh, they're shown on the Lethbridge media for covering uh, SACPA events. So we're going to listen to our speaker for 20 to 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes, sorry, uh, then we break for lunch. Uh, we have a half hour, and then at 1 o'clock, we begin again with our uh, uh, questions. So uh, we uh, invite you now to uh, listen as I welcome our speaker. Uh, so our question for today is, are you in favor of medically assisted dying? Uh, like most good things, a life in life, a good death is worth planning for. And our speaker today has had a long-time interest in this uh, topic of med medically assisted uh, dying, and uh, he notes that a survey conducted by the college in 2010 found that two out of three people in southern Alberta are in favor of this and that uh, medically assisted suicide for terminally ill people uh, with an increasing proportion uh, to three out of four for the whole of Canada. And so why is the tail wagging the dog is the question. Our speaker today will argue that Canadians should have the same rights as people living in Oregon, Washington, Montana, and several European countries who now have the right to choose to die at the time of their own choosing and place. John Warren, uh, who is a longtime Lethbridge resident, has been in favor of this topic for um, uh, studying this topic for many years, and uh, he will now uh, we will invite John to come forward and to present. Um, his presentation. Thank you. Good afternoon. 
I didn't know Ralph uh, personally. I'd, I'd met him three or four times in business, and he always seemed like a very uh, pleasant sort of guy. And at that time, he was really enjoying the, um, the journey that he was making through life at that time. And that was maybe 30 years ago. And that's what I want to talk about today is the journey of life and what happens when we get to <clears throat> towards the end of can we hear or sorry we're just trying to, we're going to set up a separate system because it's the overall speakers that are the problem so go ahead it'll cut in and out a bit as loud as you can okay <laughs> <laughs> so what i want to talk about is what happens as we get to the end of our journey and we get to our destination <clears throat> Uh, but I want to start with uh, a few calisthenics. Uh, I'd like, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you agree with me, please raise your right hand. Do you think you're going to die? <laughs> okay, so far we got unanimous support. <clears throat> what, what more can I ask? <clears throat> all of us will die, but not all of us will die with dignity. Some of us will die violently in an accident. Some of us will die after weeks or months of unremitting pain. Others will die in a hospital with tubes sticking out from all over our body. And others will just drift away, sad and lonely, in a warehouse for old people. But it gets worse than that. <clears throat> I have my own uh, milestones of misery that I have sort of laid out, and, and I'll share a few with, them, with you. If I'm blind and I'm paralyzed and I'm wearing diapers, I think that'll be the time for my final exit. If I cannot speak or I cannot swallow and I'm in pain, then it's time for me to go. But if we are paralyzed and we can't swallow or are too sick and tired to do anything for ourselves, we may need help. But under the criminal code, of the, at, the, at the present time, if, if somebody helps another person to commit suicide, then they're facing a 14-year jail sentence. And I don't think that's right. And three out of four, I hope these are not bullets coming at me. <laughs> three out of four Canadians are in favor of having that choice of being able to get somebody to help them. <clears throat> Let's look at the criminal code for a minute. In 1867, Canada broke from, from the UK, but we kept much of the English system of laws. 25 years later, in 1892, we wrote our own criminal code. <clears throat> and section 237 of the criminal code of 1892 states, everyone is liable to life imprisonment who counsels or helps any person commit suicide. And that's, the wording is still the same today, except that they've, they've shortened the, well, maybe, they've shortened the term of imprisonment from life imprisonment to 14 years. In my case, that's not a big deal. I may not live 14 years. Life might be better. Other parts of the criminal code 120 years ago that have been changed, they're kind of interesting too. Homosexuality back then was punished with life imprisonment. Anyone, ask, anyone procuring an abortion for a woman 
was sentenced to life imprisonment too. A woman who may, who may have been raped and wanted uh, an abortion, if she, if she engineered that abortion for herself, was liable to go to jail for seven years. That's been changed. <clears throat> Things have changed over the last 120 years since the criminal code was written. But we still can't get help to end our own life when and where we want to. But we do have some choices. One of the choices is that we can refuse treatment. We can sign a DNR, do not resuscitate, order at the hospital, so that if you have, if your heart stops and you don't want it started again, you can sign a DNR, you have a heart attack, they don't revive you, you die. That's your choice. So that's one choice that we do have. Another choice is that we can stop treatment. There was a case in uh, 1992 of a young lady in Quebec. Um, um, she was 22 years old, and her name was Nancy, Nancy B. They never did uh, reveal her true name. At 22, she was diagnosed with a very serious neurological problem that was um, slowly destroying all of her nerves. After a year and a half, she was in hospital in a respirator <clears throat> and, uh, sorry, hooked up to a respirator, but in an incubator. And she lived like that for another two years. And there was no hope. There was no hope of recovery. But she knew that the medical staff and the respirator could keep her alive for another 60 years. And she's, she was sick and tired of looking at television after two years, never mind that length of time. So she went to the hospital, or she told the hospital, she said, take me off the respirator. The hospital said, no, we're here to save lives, we're saving yours. She said, get me my lawyer. The lawyer came, um, and she gave him instructions. The judge, the um, um, lawyer uh, went to court. The judge visited Nancy B. in court, in, uh, in the hospital, and found that she was of sound mind, knew what she was doing, knew the results of what would happen if they took her off the respirator, that she would die. And the judge said, well, you have the option of doing that, of stopping the treatment. So she did. So the hospital had to stop the treatment. And once they took her off the respirator, Nancy died within seven minutes. That was her choice. And that's our choice now. We can stop treatment if we want to. The third right that we have is to voluntarily stop eating and drinking. If you do that, it'll take maybe 10 to 14 days to die, but it's quite a peaceful and painless way to go, but that's an option that you have. So that's one more. The fourth option that we can do now legally in Canada is to commit suicide. That's been an option, a legal option. It was legalized in 1972, so 40 years ago nearly. So we can commit suicide. <clears throat> so if you have the right to commit suicide, to starve yourself to death, to stop treatment and cause your death that way, or to refuse treatment, then for the life of me, I can't understand why we can't get help to commit suicide now, if that's what we want. <clears throat> If we have the right, it doesn't mean to say that we have to use it. And, that, and, and that's a key point, is that all, where are, all the people in the right to die movement are, is asking for is the right to have that choice. Whether we use it or not is another question. 
Do you remember 20 years ago uh, there was a case before the courts about Sue Rodriguez? Sue Rodriguez was, I think, 42 years old at that time. <clears throat> she was diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease. She knew that she would, her, her muscles would shut down and her nerves would shut down. Eventually she would not be able to walk. She would uh, be unable to swallow and eat. She couldn't go to the bathroom um, and she would eventually, the um, muscles controlling her lungs would, would seize up and she would suffocate. And she said she didn't want to go through that for herself or for her uh, for family. So she applied to the court 20 years ago to have this section of the criminal code uh, repealed so she could get help to die on her terms in her own home. She lost at the first level of, of the court appearance in BC. But at the appeal court stage, the Chief Justice said, and I'll read it, any law which imposes an indeterminate period of senseless physical and psychological suffering upon someone who is shortly to die anyway cannot conform to any principle of fundamental justice. And when you think about it, I, well, when I think about it, I think that's right. But the Chief Justice was overruled by his two compatriots on the uh, committee, and it went to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court justices heard it, five of them. Two of them voted in favor of Sue. The other three voted against her. So they, they, basically, they threw out her case and basically sentenced her to die painfully by suffocation and paralysis. Sue went home, and with the help of a, uh, a compassionate and merciful and anonymous doctor, uh, died in her own home uh, about three weeks later. <clears throat> so that was 20 years ago, um, and, the, and nothing has changed since then. But there, <clears throat> there is hope. There's... Um, there's a, court going, uh, there's a court case going through the BC courts at the present time. There are five plaintiffs in that. Gloria Taylor is 63. She's, um, uh, she's divorced. She has two kids, two adult children, an 11-year-old grandchild. And she's got Lou Gehrig's disease. She was diagnosed 18 months ago. And we can all um, think back where we were 18 months ago. And now she knows that she's faced with the same problem that Sue Rodriguez was. So she's taken her case to court. She's joined by Lee Hollis and, um, and her husband. Lee's, sorry, Lee Carter. Um, Kay Carter, her mother, um, was 88 in 2008. And, uh, and she was diagnosed with, what was she doing? Um, spinal, um, Damn, what was she diagnosed with? Sorry. Um, spinal stenosis. And this is a very debil debilitating disease. <clears throat> Soon she was unable to walk, unable to eat properly. She was in diapers. <clears throat> and, uh, and she was in chronic pain. And her neurologist told her that she wasn't going to get any better. And eventually she would be uh, in bed flat on her back. And in Kay's words, oh, I'll be just like an ironing board. So flat on her back in bed. She said, I'm not putting up with this. Uh, I want physician-assisted dying. And 
There is no such thing in Canada. So she's so she and four of her family members got on the plane and went to Switzerland and checked into an organization called Dignitas. Dignitas will make available medically assisted dying to people who qualified. They uh, interviewed Kay and she qualified. She had a terminal illness, she knew what she was doing, she wanted to die, and they interviewed her on her own, away from her family, so there was no coercion, and um, and so she passed all the tests, and the and the doctor said, "Okay, here's the here's the lethal dose." And uh, Kay drank down the lethal dose with her with her uh, family holding her hands, and she died peacefully in Switzerland. But it was thousands of miles away from her home, and her daughter and son-in-law are now petitioning the court with Gloria Taylor to have the law changed so that. If it happens to them, they can get medically assisted dying in Canada. Another plaintiff in the case is a doctor, Dr. Sochet. He's been a family doctor since 1980 and has been treating uh, people with serious diseases, as he would, since then. And <clears throat> he knows and has seen uh, severe suffering from his patients. And his, his what he, um, how he is... Um, petitioned the court. This is part of his statement of claim. He says, I consider the end-of-life care an important part of my compassionate, moral, ethical, and professional duty. I consider the ability to participate in physician-assisted dying on request, in appropriate circumstances, an important component of health care. Ah, that's interesting, if we could get this in, under the health care umbrella. <clears throat> the last um, plaintiff in the case is the BC Civil Liberties Association, and they are petitioning the court that the uh, Section 241 of the Code, the one that we're talking about, uh, co directly contravene, contravenes Section 7 of the Charter of Rights, which guarantees our freedom of uh, our freedom of, uh, of life and. Their point is that death is part of life and therefore we, sh we should have the ability to make the choice on how we die. <clears throat> so everyone in the lawsuit and in the right to die movement uh, are all fighting for the same thing, but they're all asking that proper rules and regulations and procedures are in place so that... Uh, so that it's it's uh, it's done properly and properly regulated, and is open to scrutiny and open to police if that's what they, if they want to check. Um, so that's what people are looking for, and that is available. Uh, medically assisted dying is available in seven jurisdictions: in Holland, Belgium, Luxembourg, Switzerland, Oregon, Washington, and a hundred miles south of here in Montana. So it's available there, so why isn't here? And so I, what I want to do is to, is to look at what goes on in Oregon. <clears throat> um, they passed their Death with Dignity Act 14 years ago in 1997. So there's a whole bunch of records and, and results available for scrutiny, <clears throat> and they have been scrutinized. And here are some questions that, is avail that are shown on their... Um, on the um, Department of Health website for Oregon. One of the questions is, who can participate? 
and the people who can participate in Oregon are adults, and they must be um, residents of Oregon, and they must have a fatal disease, and their, um, their life expectancy must be less than six months. So that's how Oregon sets it up. Any doctor can, pres can prescribe the medication. So it's not like there's a board of doctors of you know, 15 or 20 or whatever it is, you know, doctors of death. You can go to your, um, uh, your own personal physician and, and request that. The doctor doesn't need, doesn't have to participate. It's, it's totally voluntary on the part of the doctors. So it's not as though there's any coercion from the, from the doctor's point of view. So how does a, how does a patient uh, get the prescription? There are eight steps. He must be he must have part, you know, uh, met all the criteria uh, that we talked about before. He has to make two oral requests at least fifteen days apart. So you can't wake up one morning and say, "Oh, that was a bad night. I think I'll die." You have to have that experience at least two weeks apart, and then you have to ask the doctor for that. You have to make a written um, request that has to be witnessed by two people, one of whom cannot be part of your family. <clears throat> the attending physician and, the, and another physician, a consulting physician, must confirm the diagnosis and the prognosis. And if either, either physician thinks that there's a, a psychological problem, then you have to go through a psychological test to make sure that you're not in depression, that you know what you're doing, and there's no psychological problems. And, and the, the, um, the physician must ask the patient to notify uh, their family. Now, the, the patient doesn't have to notify the family, but the physician has to ask him. And the physician has to make sure that the, the patient has the option to check out at any time that they want to, because once you've applied, it doesn't mean to say you have to go through with this. But if you want to, if you um, right at the end, uh, the just before you're given the, uh, the, the lethal dose, the doctor asks you again, are you sure you want to do this? So there's a, there's a, a lot of safeguards um, uh, involved with this. The physician must report um, uh, the lethal medication that he prescribes uh, to, the, um, to the health authority in, in Oregon. So, so everything is documented that way. Uh, and one of the questions on the on the website is interesting. Um, it, it asks, so does a, does Oregon allow euthanasia? And the answer on the website is no. Uh, euthanasia is um, is when a, a, a doctor injects a patient um, uh, with a lethal dose. Uh, in Oregon, you have to be able you have to be able-bodied enough to do two things. You have to be able to pick up a glass and you have to be able to swallow it. If you can't do that, then you're toast. You have to live life out um, as, uh, as best you can. That's not the case in Europe. In Europe, you can, in some countries, you can have the lethal injection. So <clears throat> Oregon has been doing that um, uh, for the last 14 years, and there have been no problems. Um, there, are, uh, there are two things um, that uh, 
that you can do to to solve this this problem. You can take action. You can you can get hold of your MP Jim Hillier and and you know talk to your family, talk to your friends, um, uh, get on Twitter and Facebook and email and spread the word uh, that we need to change this legislation. If the MPs don't know about it, then how can they change it? And the other thing you can do is to uh, j join an organization that I support, which is uh, Dying with Dignity. And uh, there's information on Dying with Dignity outside, and I'll, uh, uh, I'd be happy to answer questions about that. So in the last hundred years, <coughs> um, technology has outstripped ethics. Our life expectancy has gone from 50 to 80, right? But our ethics hasn't, I don't think, has, hasn't caught up with it. <clears throat> so there may be a concern out there that we're messing with the natural process of life. But when you think about it, we mess with that all the way through. We give our, we save preemie babies. We inject our babies with um, uh, inoculations to save them from uh, diseases. Um, I'll lay you money that 98% of the people here have been to a doctor at one stage and maybe have been in hospital, so, that, that, so that's changing the natural process. So for the life of me, I can't understand why we can't change the natural process as we get towards uh, the end of our journey and towards our destination. We should have that right. <clears throat> so we agreed that... Uh, uh, that every one of us sooner or later will die, but we will not all die with dignity. If you want to die with dignity, then you have to, you have to fight for change. Because you and you might, if you need a doctor to help you die with dignity, then you got to have that change. You have to get control of your own body. If you don't have it, who does have that control, and why do they have that? Thank you.